It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Game Week 4 Review Show of the World Soccer Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Nipun Chopra. Thanks for downloading and listening to this episode. With nine games played this weekend, Manchester City remained the only team with a perfect record after winning at Old Trafford this week. Meanwhile, Chelsea are still unbeaten after yet another late goal by everyone's favorite real-life troll, Diego Costa. In order to review those games, I'm joined by Karthik Krishnayar. Karthik, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you, Nipun. Karthik, where else would you and I start as Man United and Man City supporters about uh, other than the Manchester derby? Before we get into um, dissecting the game, I want to hear your overall thoughts about this game. Because to me, Karthik, this felt like, it really did feel like an El Clasico. It felt, maybe it's just simply because Mourinho and Guardiola were there, but so much tactical nuance, so much... Uh, so many different pieces, so many world-class players on the pitch at the same time, two world-class managers, uh, you know, a, a sort of a derby, although El Clasico, I guess, is not a derby. So I, what, what were your overall thoughts about this game? Yeah, I completely agree. And in fact, uh, last night at the game between our other two teams, Fort Lauderdale and Indy, uh, here in Fort Lauderdale, that was kind of the, the top. It always what? happens, right, Karthik? Yeah, Man- they always play the same weekend yeah. for some reason. I don't know why that's such a crazy coincidence that somehow both our teams tend to play at the same time. But uh, the, the discussion at the game was, and in the press box was, what a good game this was. Mm-hmm. And you always hear... After pr- big Premier League matches, oh, it was a letdown, it was a disappointment, some sort of uh, controversy, although there was certainly controversy in this match. But there was just talk about what a good game, right. how well uh, both teams uh, adjusted tactically and how uh, how the game evolved. And I-, I thought it was just a very, very entertaining game. And it, it had that that feel of an El Clasico, even in the crowd. But obviously, Manchester derbies are big deals, but it, it seems a little bigger. This time, didn't it? It just seemed there was Absolutely. an air of anticipation, and I thought maybe it was too much hype. But as it turns out, the hype uh, didn't. Did, it was beyond the hype. The game. It was. It was such an entertaining match. Yeah, I mean, uh, if, when, when you think about uh, the the fact that two of arguably the five best managers in the world, I, I still think Guardiola is the best manager in the world, and Mourinho's top five. So that fact, along with the the fact that you had so many quality players and and players who were missing as well, who were exceptional quality, like Aguero. And that's where I guess we should start this conversation, Karthik, because the biggest talking point in some ways before this game was missing Aguero. And all of us on different podcasts that you were on, that I was on, 
hypothesize what, how he would play it. And he kind of, uh, he being Guardiola. And at the end of the day, he, he took a pretty sensible approach. But what the way it played out was the forward uh, for for the forward line for City was not as important as was as was what he did in the midfield three, isn't it? Yeah, certainly, and and I think uh, that was almost a default thing that happened because and Pep always wants to win the tactical battle, right? But he was aided by the decision to start Mkhitaryan, but from Mourinho week. It was a, a poor decision. Mourinho has admitted it was a poor decision. He corrected it at halftime. Under Herrera was far better, far more effective, much more dynamic, and allowed uh, Fellaini and Pogba to get into more natural positions and and really uh, begin to control. I, I wouldn't say United dominated the midfield battle right. after halftime, but they controlled the midfield battle. The first half, uh, De Bruyne was just running riot. Oh, right? He was uh, he was just having a, a blinder beyond the blinder. We'd say guys have blinders. He was having one of the best games in a big game in England that we've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that continued even in the second half, but uh, you, um, you're, you're, you, United was not in any way able to cope with the movement from De Bruyne, and it put a lot of pressure on the back four, and there was the the issue of Mkhitaryan not being up to pace, up to speed, and I have mm-hmm. to say, this is a, this is a serious issue because this was the case often at Dortmund in big games. Right. And he has that reputation. And part of the part of him having that reputation is why Jurgen Klopp did not go in for him, as many people anticipated, with Liverpool and, and, and went in and got Wijnaldum instead from um, – <clears throat> may have overpaid for him, but from uh, Newcastle and Sadio Mane. And we're, we're going to get to Liverpool later, but they, um, they made the decision. Klopp made the decision not to go in for Mkhitaryan. I think uh, what we've seen in, in the first few matches with Manchester United and based on Mkhitaryan in big games at Borussia Dortmund is that the combination, and it depends what, what, where you want to go with this and who your opposition is, the combination of Juan Mata or Ander Herrera, not playing them both at the same time, but mm-hmm. one or the other, probably gives you as much as Mkhitaryan does. So that... Um, that was a bad decision by Mourinho, and I, I think that ultimately uh, decided the game. From a tactical standpoint, I can see what Mourinho was trying to do. He wanted to. He knew that City was going to dominate possession as they did, especially in the first half, and he wanted to have the pace on the wings through Mkhitaryan and through Lingard, and at the same time, through Lingard, also have work rate to track the runs of someone like Sanya. But what ended up happening? was every time the ball was played out to the wings to either Lingard or Mkhitaryan, there was no ball retention. Their first touch was horrible. They let balls go through to the sideline that they really had no business letting go of. And uh, it ended up being a situation where Mourinho was kind of had some egg on his face because I think it was almost a sense of Mourinho trying to pull one of those, hey, look at me, I'm Mourinho, I make some incredible decisions. And what does he do? He plays Mkhitaryan, who's barely had a lick of football. He's probably played about 25 minutes combined in the first three games. He starts him in the biggest game of the season so far. Lingard, who's come back from injury a little bit, uh, had a good start to the season. But yet again, let's... Yeah, I don't fault him for the Lingard decision. Lingard was... Well, here, here's why I fault him, Gardek, for the Lingard decision. Because midweek, 
Marcus Rashford scored a hat-trick for the U21s. And he has been in terrific form uh, for Manchester's uh, U21s as well. Uh, has been in terrific form all, uh, since the start of the season. Scored the winner uh, in the last game against Hull City in that last minute. So if you had the choice to play Lingard or Marcus Rashford, arguably Lingard gives you a little bit more defensive prowess. But if you're playing those f- two forward players for the sole purpose of having... A, good counterattack, you don't leave out Link, uh, Rashford. Well, that's a good point. That's a very, very good point. And then maybe he had to hold that substitution mm-hmm. because he had to make both at halftime. I, I would have brought Martial on earlier, but I understand because he had to burn two substitutions at halftime, why Martial, who I was expecting to come on at about the 60th minute right. and run at City's defense, at, a, at, at by that time a pretty tired defense, wasn't brought on until I think minute 80. The other big tactical change this is ultimately what won the game for Manchester City was and this is a direct contrast with Manuel Pellegrini who I have a lot of time for and Mm -hmm. admire as a manager but uh, Pep Guardiola recognized after uh, Rashford and Herrera came on that City was losing the midfield battle was being overwhelmed in midfield in in kind of a similar fashion as as United was in the first half he quickly brings Fernando Fernando on now that Pellegrini would make it the 75th minute and Mm -hmm. Guardiola made it at the 57th or 58th minute. Big, big difference. And I think if Pellegrini's managing City in that match, you get a second goal from United uh, with, with Rashford's work rate. And, and uh, I thought Rooney had a pretty good second half. Uh, they probably get a second goal, and then it's a completely different game. So yeah, uh, quick that... change. And that's also something Pep Guardiola has this reputation of not liking defensive midfielders. But uh, when his back was against the wall, he threw one on and, and, and got out with three points. That says a lot. About I his agree. pragmatism. Yeah, I agree. And and I think uh, the some of the things you just mentioned, Karthik, are why this game was so cool to watch. It really was like a game of chess in some uh, – that's such a cliche. But a game of chess with, with some really big players. It was like a game of chess with a bunch of uh, just one king and, you know, uh, the rest of the players were all queens. So it, it, everyone on that pitch was was – larger than life in some ways and was uh, powerful. And But what ended up happening was these small tweaks that each manager made in the, in the beginning. It was Guardiola and he, he, he did what he, what he had to do, which is he knew Pogba and Fellaini would be strong in midfield in terms from a physical presence. So he used, uh, he used uh, the pivot of Fernandinho and then Bruyne and Silva on either side of him. So at any given moment, one of those players, usually De Bruyne, was free because Pogba and Fellaini were trying to track the other two. It was it's simple when you when we say it that way, but it's so hard to make happen on a pitch. And that's the credit to that's the big credit to Guardiola. That's why that's why he's the greatest manager in the world. After that, as you mentioned, United comes back. Mourinho makes that tweak, uh, brings on Herrera, changes the structure of the team. Herrera is playing as a holding midfielder. Pogba, Fellaini push up. United gains some control of the game, creates some chances. And then Fernando comes on uh, to balance the game out. So some brilliant tactical moments. And let's talk about some of the players now. Pogba completely missing uh, in this. Well, I shouldn't say completely missing. I think he struggled in this game to to yeah, keep really up with uh, with what what with some brilliant tactical maneuvering by uh, Guardiola. I'm sure that's been talked about. Let's talk more about Kevin De Bruyne, De, Kevin De Bruyne, because 
De Bruyne, I think you hinted at this at the beginning, often criticized for poor performances in big games. Last season, if I remember, uh, his best performance was that win. I want to say it was a, he scored two goals against Hull, maybe? I, I think that's what it was. Um, and in general, you know, in and out of games. Oh, the PSG game. I guess in the PSG game yeah. also he scored, this, right, in the semifinal? Or the, um, quarterfinals. Quarterfinal, thank you. Um, but other than that... I, Kevin De Bruyne in this game was unplayable, had the goal um, and hit the post twice, one of them leading to the Hinaccio goal. So do you think this is some redemption, Karthik, for Kevin De Bruyne to have this sort of performance against a manager who really honestly didn't believe in him? Yes, I, I think that certainly motivated him. And he's playing at, at a different level system, a lot of freedom, freedom of movement and... and he is playing in a in a role where he finds a lot of space because David Silva is playing in a more withdrawn role, and that's uh, the little tactical wrinkle that's changed. Whereas last season, you would see De Bruyne sometimes pushed wide, uh, trying to play as kind of a double number ten or whatever you want to call them, number eights with uh, David Silva, and it didn't really work in a lot of games. They'd both get marked out of games right. in, in the Premier League. Uh, we we saw this also with Nasri and. Uh, and, and Silva often. If you played the two of them together, there would be all kinds of problems, and then you didn't get any natural width, and uh, City would eventually have to bring Jesus Navas on to, to save games, right? So that's right. that that that's the position that City were often in until this kind of three-man midfield idea with, um, which is why we have not seen Yaya Torre play in the Premier League yet, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, David Silva and uh, Fernandinho almost as a double pivot, but taking turns in, in various roles, and De Bruyne further up the pitch. And that's, uh, uh, except when he, he comes to, to link up and Fernandinho bombs forward. It seems to be all very orchestrated and very organized. It's, it's a fascinating tactical wrinkle, and it's something that's really benefiting De Bruyne. And we'll see if he can kick on from here. I, I, I tend to think he will. I also think uh, it's it's uh, important to note the intelligence of the runs that Raheem Sterling and Nolito are making to cl- clear space for mm-hmm. De Bruyne. Exactly. In the center. Of, and uh, this is why, again, I, I don't want to get too far on this. People who follow me on Twitter or read my articles know how I feel about this subject. But the British press, they, they don't, a lot of them don't watch the game in a very sophisticated tactical way. And they could not understand why Roy Hodgson kept picking Raheem Sterling for uh, England during the Euros, during qualifying. They don't understand why, uh, why Guardiola would throw him with all the talent Manchester City has supposedly has, uh, why Sterling is an automatic starter for Guardiola. There are things he does off the ball. There are runs he makes. There are intelligent things he does in a football match that other guys don't give you. Right. And uh, uh, Manuel Pellegrini, well, Brendan Rodgers found that. Manuel Pellegrini found that. Roy Hodgson found that. Pep Guardiola, the best manager in the world, now found that. So just because he's a bad finisher in front of goal, which he is, doesn't mean that he should be bagged as he is by the Fleet Street Press. And he very deservingly has won Premier League Player of the Month. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, Sterling's movement and that of Nolito, who's been an outstanding signing, yeah. uh, was a signing I didn't have much faith in because... Oh, yeah, my, I remember. My, yeah, my view mm-hmm. was that he had never done well at big clubs and that uh, it's always when he's at second-tier clubs that he does well, but uh, he's certainly fitting into the well, system well. second-tier club now, so... <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, those two guys uh, have created uh, enough space... 
for Fernandinho and De Bruyne really to pick apart uh, the defenses they're facing. And, and uh, it'll be interesting also to see what happens this week it, which in Gladbach because that's, uh, again, going to be another challenge uh, against a, a team with a pretty good midfield that City's going to face. And uh, we'll see if this continues. Yeah, great point on Sterling there. I agree with that 100%. Some of that vitriol coming from Liverpool supporters as well, by the way. Um, uh, correct, correct. Yeah. Some of those Liverpool supporters happen to be in the media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, we don't need to uh, explicate any more on that. I think everyone knows who we're talking about. Um, let's talk about Otamendi. Again, another player last season, you know, not as impressive. Uh, when, when he signed, I thought Manchester United had, had made a big mistake by not moving for him, by not securing him and letting him go to City. Uh, initially, really struggled. In this game, I think John Stones got a lot of credit. I think Otamendi was the best defender on the day. Yeah, I thought Otamendi was outstanding. The reason why Manchester City got him, I believe, last year was because Valencia were bad financial straits right. and owed uh, City money on uh, the Negredo transfer. So um, Negredo now, of course, wow. has gone to uh, the Middlesbrough. But I right. think that's actually why City got Otamendi instead of United. Uh, they had um, that Valencia had to pay off that debt, so that was um, that was how they got him, and, and he was fantastic. I agree. I think his positioning was very good. He picked the right spots to go forward. He was comfortable with the ball at his feet. Uh, what we used to expect from David Luiz, we saw from Otamendi in this game. Saw it largely from Stones also, but we've also come to expect it from Stones. And I thought I thought those two were were outstanding. Where. Uh, Manchester City continues to have problems, and this is why when Martial came on and then prior to that, uh, Rashford uh, had a huge impact, is the fullback positions. I think that there's still some question marks about the durability for 90 minutes at at this pace of Sonia and especially of Alexander Kolarov. Yeah, those those are good points. Another area was, of course, Claudio Bravo, who really struggled with crosses and, and... uh, which actually contributed to only goal Manchester United score. Here's an interesting thing. I think uh, a lot of us have analyzed the game that it was a game with two halves. Yes, Manchester United was much better in the second half. But truthfully, the only time United created any chances, clear chances, it was because of mistakes made by Claudio, mistakes made by Claudio Bravo. Right. I think that's important to note that had someone else, well, let's not say Joe Hart, Joe Hart because of what happened at Torino. Had someone else been in goal on uh, Saturday morning, perhaps United, perhaps our analysis of United would have been that they were poor in both halves. Yeah, if Caballero had started, which uh, I was actually quite surprised he didn't. And uh, that's something Pep Guardiola, now he has a decision to make, right? Bravo is one of the, the best shot stoppers in the world. Uh, best keepers in the world and with his feet he's incredible and he's incredible with his feet do you let him play through this and 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 and, and uh bet him in or do you go back to willie caballero who's who's not very good with his feet quite frankly i've seen him make mistakes the three years he's been at city and at malaga before but uh seems to be a more reliable uh, uh look yeah i mean i caballero would have gotten that ball okay and and the 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 other one um uh, I think he probably would have come up with two, and and then the um, the, the penalty shout for Rooney, which mm-hmm. to me was a penalty. I yeah. uh, I, I don't know that m- maybe he gets caught there, but uh, I, I think two or two of those three mistakes are probably not made by Caballero. I think they're even though in spite of what happened at Torino today, I don't think uh, two of those three mistakes were made by Joe Hart either. So um, that's 
that's the big thing now for Guardiola. Do you let him play through it? He probably does. Right. But, I think uh, so too. It, it's uh, it's worrying because this is what happens often when you bring a player into a new league and you throw him in a, uh, on the deep end. Especially a goalkeeper. Right, especially a goalkeeper. And we've seen mm-hmm. it happen. Especially a goalkeeper from Spain. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, De- David De Gea uh, obviously is is kind of the uh, the the uh, poster child for that. But right. then, if you look at Courtois, on the other hand, he played very well when he first came right. back to the Premier League. Mm-hmm. It's the other now, way with him. <laughs> well, now, yeah, now you have to, and I know we're going to get to Chelsea later in the show. But now you really have to wonder: uh, is uh, Courtois a better option than Begovic? I'm not really sure about that mm-hmm. anymore. But. Uh, I, I think Bravo uh, opened the door for Manchester United in this game in a way that uh, when you have uh, Rooney and an Ibra, you're able to take advantage of. And uh, Guardiola said post-game he wanted to give Ibra credit for that goal and try and punt on the fact that it had been a horrible goalkeeper error because right. it was a sublime finish. And it yeah. was oh, no the doubt. kind of finish only Ibra uh, among strikers in this world we would expect to to connect mm-hmm. with that and just finish it so cleanly. But mm-hmm. uh, the opportunity wouldn't be there without the goalkeeper error. I agree with that completely. Let's move on, Karthik, uh, from this game. We'll talk. We'll get to the Arsenal-Southampton game uh, here in a second. But before we do that, um, I want our listeners to know that if you watch as much Premier League football as we do on this podcast, you need to know about Sling Blue. With Sling Blue, you can cut the cord and watch NBS, NBCSN, Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 2, Univision, and Unimas with a free 7-day trial. You can watch the games on your computer, smartphone, tablet, Roku, Apple TV, and Xbox One. That means for this upcoming week, you can use the 7-day free trial to watch Celtic vs. Barcelona and PSG vs. Arsenal in the Champions League, Feyenoord vs. Manchester United, and Spurs vs. Monaco in the Europa League on Thursday, and Chelsea versus Liverpool in the league on Friday, and many, many more games. You do not need a cable or satellite TV subscription. Plus, with Sling Blue, you get AMC, BBC America, FX, TNT, and a ton of other channels. Sign up for the seven-day free trial to Sling Blue at worldsoccertalk.com slash sling. Again, that's worldsoccertalk.com slash sling. Kartik Arsenal versus Southampton. Arsenal winning 2-1. Lucas Perez makes his debut. Uh, Arsenal's actually had a really poor record against Southampton recently, uh, in, well, since in the last two or three seasons. And I guess the game was going in some ways uh, against plan when Tardis scored from that free kick. A amazing overhead free, uh, overhead kick from Koscielny. In the last minutes, though, Kartik, here's the, where the game got interesting. Last 25, 30 minutes, Arsenal piled on the pressure but somehow didn't create too many chances until that uh, that Giroud uh, PK. Right, it had been a foul on the other end of the pitch. Uh, Shane Long clearly taken down in the corner, and uh, no foul was called. I, I can't remember which Arsenal defender was involved, but uh, so that led directly to to the sequence that gave Arsenal their winner on the penalty kick. Look, Arsenal, I, I thought was again very poor. Uh, Lucas Perez, uh, he will get better, but he's. Uh, for Arsenal fans who, who, for some reason, don't like Giroud, even though I think he's he's not a world-class striker, right? He's not Ibra. He's not Lewandowski. But he's in that next tier. He's a guy who, who, who ends up creating more chances than just about any striker in the world who's not playing for Barcelona or Bayern or Real Madrid. Are you talking uh, Shane Long or Giroud? No, I'm talking about Giroud. <laughs> um, but... 
I, I don't know why uh, uh, Arsenal fans dislike him so much. I think they just associate him with this this uh, lamentable era uh, where they're not uh, challenging for titles. But mm-hmm. uh, Lucas Perez, to me, didn't, didn't show me much. Uh, obviously, it's his first game in the league. He's a top <laughs> coming in uh, with, a, with a strong pedigree. Uh, I thought the game changed because Giroud came on. I thought Arsenal was much better once he came on and were creating half chances, not, not great chances. Uh, I, I don't think uh, Arsenal's midfield was particularly good. But in this game, I understand Wenger's rotating with PSG coming on Tuesday, a big game in the Champions League. But, right. boy, I, I look at the on paper this Arsenal team and think they should be giving us the types of performances that Manchester United and Manchester City do. Now, I think United has the most talent of any team in the league. I've said that uh, since uh, – uh, July, but I I don't think Arsenal is that far behind on paper. But they're just not performing, and and this is the same thing we see every season. And until there is reason to change my opinion or our our colleague Chris Hanage's opinion about Wenger and about Arsenal, there. I'm going to continue to say the same thing, which is they're going to finish fourth, maybe. But they might finish. They might actually finish fifth this year because I I think that there's pretty clearly four or five teams better than them right now in the league, and uh, I don't know that they're going to have the luxury they've had these previous seasons where they've gotten to third or fourth with these poor starts of teams falling away. They may not. That might not happen this season, and I I just don't like what I see from them. It's just yeah. pretty simple. I uh, we're going to get to our top fours in in section two of the podcast, Karthik. But I guess I'll give mine away here in a sec. Uh, in this way that I agree with you. For me, for after watching this game, I finally put Arsenal out of my top four into fifth place, and the reason for that is, uh, so I'm a big fan of Santi Catorla. He scored the winner, the PK in this game. But again, for me, that that pivot in midfield, the two of those midfielders, regardless if you have Shaka there with Santi or whoever you're playing, Kokolin. I just don't see that those two in midfield as a strong enough system for many of the big games, many of the games that Arsenal struggle in. And yes, Santi Cajola is a brilliant footballer, but if he is playing, he has to be playing in those three behind the strikers and not in a holding midfield role. It's not a traditional holding midfield role, but he cannot be... If you're having an attacking lineup behind your striker like you do with Arsenal, with Joel Campbell... Oh, sorry, he's on, away on loan. Alex uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Theo Walcott, Otsil, etc. You need more of a strong structure in the two behind those three. And with Santi Catoro there, and uh, I just cannot see that working all season it started off brilliantly last season last season at the beginning of the uh, of the of the league uh, campaign i remember they dominated uh, when they played united they beat them comfortably with uh without a traditional holding midfielder and on the world soccer talk podcast you guys were talking about it lawrence you and richard at the time about how perhaps this is an okay system that might work but again, as you said, they f- it fell away in some of the other bigger games. It's just not sustainable, and that's why I think they'll be out of top four. Yeah, and Ozil had one of the worst games I've seen him have in a game. And I, I, uh, I just don't know. Uh, at this point, United is, is pretty much as good as advertised. City is as good as advertised. Chelsea is, even though they, uh, they dropped points this weekend, as good as uh, better than advertised. Liverpool, for me, maybe I had underrated them, much better than advertised. I know we're only four matches into the season. Spurs, as good as I thought they'd be. Right now, I'm, I'm already thinking Arsenal is the sixth best team in the league now that I've named right. those five teams. So I don't, uh, I, I don't 
no, maybe they get to fourth again, but they're not going to compete for the title unless some sort of mentality shift occurs. And I don't know if it's going to occur with this manager and this set of players. And I have to reference something. John Cross from The Mirror is an Arsenal fan and one of the best soccer writers in England. He senses this is Wenger's last year and says it might be as much Wenger walking away as um, as Arsenal sport forcing him out. He'll get to 20 years, that incredible milestone uh, in October, and maybe he's just going to play out the string. And it would be very sad uh, if he leaves uh, having finished fifth or sixth, considering that record of 19 successive years in the top four is something that will never be matched in, in, I think, in English football again. And it would be nice if he is going to go out this year to get year 20 in the top four and then just walk away. But I have my doubts as to whether that happens. I agree with you. I mean, except, of course, when Martinez takes over at City and wins the league 19 years in a row, right, Karthik? So, <laughs> okay, let's let's move ahead, Karthik, to two teams that Arsenal does not ha- have uh, great feelings about, one being Stoke, one being Tottenham. 4 nothing win away from home for Tottenham. Dele Alli scores, Kane scores. But the talking point for me in this game is Son Heung-Min. Uh, uh, Son came out... About a week and a half ago, said he wanted to focus on his Tottenham career. When he signed last year, Karthik from Leverkusen was the most expensive Asian player ever. Uh, I think it was Nakata, Hidetoshi Nakata, who had the record before that. Did not have the most exciting start to his Tottenham career. This game, two goals and assist, and was brilliant uh, in those, on those advanced attacking positions. Um, he has a lot of competition for that spot, Karthik. Likes of Lamella, Dele Alli, Eriksen, etc., but how how good can this guy be? Well, he actually probably would have had a third goal if uh, that ball, if Ali had not ball from Ericsson, it right. would have run through to Son, and he was at the back post position to score. So he typical, might have had three goals. typical Englishman, right? <laughs> but no, I, I think Son is a very good player. I've talked to a number of folks about him when I was in Leverkusen last year. He, of course, played for Leverkusen. Fans were devastated that he was sold. Very popular player there. It took him a little bit to acclimate to English football. And I think also the problem is with guys like him, you go to a very good team and Spurs, a team that was spending, spent most of the season trying to chase down the title, fell away the last month of the season or the last three weeks of the season, but was a team that was pushing for the title with, uh, a pretty much a set 11 or set 13, if you will, because of uh, Pochettino will rotate the fullbacks mm-hmm. uh, because of the pressing system and, and what he requires the fullbacks to are normally Rosen Walker or uh, Trippier and, and Davies to, to do. But other than that, there isn't a whole lot of squad rotation for league games. Now that Nasser Chadli has been sold, right? I, this is the opportunity for Son to push on and push into the team. The thing that strikes me about Pochettino, which worries me about Spurs, is how thin the squad is, how many guys he's offloaded because uh, for, for one reason or another. I mean, I still look at this team and look at their first 11 or first 13 and think that they can win the league. I really do. I mean, Arsenal fans, especially after we've just gotten down to eviscerating Arsenal, uh, they're not going to like me here, uh, me saying that. Yet again, oh, guys, oh, KKFLA737. Yeah, right. We finished ahead of them 19 <laughs> straight years, all, all of that stuff. Okay, I, I know that. I know that. I get that. Arsenal has uh, been better than – or has finished ahead of Tottenham in the table 19 straight years. Whether it took food poisoning or this, <laughs> this great Tottenham collapse last season, they, they have that run. But Spurs are still so good defensively. Their shape is still so good 
good defensively, and they they create turnovers by the way they press up the pitch. In in uh, and it's done in a more kind of less of a frenzied way than Liverpool does. Maybe we can at some point in the future compare Pochettino's press to uh, to Klopp's press. Mm. I, I just really like this team and another slow start like last season. But yesterday was, again, what I expected to see from them. Clicking on all cylinders, defensively very strong, controlling the midfield, really good movement from Son and from Lamella when he came on and, and from Ericsson, who is one of the most underrated players in this league, maybe one mm-hmm. of the most underrated players in Europe. Uh, I like the Spurs team, and I think that they're definitely in, in – they're, they're outsiders, but to me they're definitely that outside team that's in the title hunt and – they're the team if anyone's going to chase down the two Manchester sides I know Chelsea's ahead now on the table but realistically I think if someone's going to spoil that party it probably is Spurs yeah Ericsson was terrific in this game he was the man of the match for me was all over the pitch Uh, I think he uh, was just dominant in the final third in particular created chances linked up play played some delicious through passes I think the only player that compared for me uh, this week, e- even though they didn't end up winning, was Snodgrass. I think both Ericsson and Snodgrass were exceptional this weekend. Uh, you know, playing Snodgrass also had a hat trick uh, international duty. By right, the way. exactly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so another thing, Karthik, that I want to talk about very quickly before we switch, uh, before we end part one, uh, is uh, Harry Kane. Uh, Harry Kane scored his first goal of the season. It's been about six or seven Premier League games. As you know. Uh, a trend that started at the end of last season where he hasn't scored a goal that literally anyone, even Andy Carroll would have scored. So the goal itself is not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is the fact that when I was watching this game, I remarked on the fact that Harry Kane barely entered the opposition box. Almost all his touches were outside the box, were on the wings. And I know there's a lot of talent in this team and Harry Kane is able to play behind the striker but is Pochettino making a mistake here by playing Harry Kane in that way, where, where most of his touches, I think he had, ma- I can think of two times that he touched the ball inside the box. I'm sure our listeners know an exact number. One of them was the goal and another one that he got, uh, that, that he played through for, I think, uh, one of the fullbacks to run onto. So what are your thoughts on, on uh, Harry Kane right now? Yeah, I think that this this is the thought process behind the signing of Janssen, who needs to get going at some point, and I have high hopes for players coming from the Dutch league, guys coming from from the Netherlands in England. Some are hits and some aren't. I thought Janssen would be, but he, again, he's he's not going to Newcastle, no offense, or Norwich or one of those clubs. He's going to Spurs, who are potentially a title contender, who are in Champions League, top four team. So he has to hit the ground running. I think... Ideally, with Janssen in the team, if he, he be- becomes your out-and-out number nine that can score goals, you have the flexibility to drop uh, Kane behind Janssen. You have the ability to rotate, you know, it's, uh, give Kane uh, a couple spells because he played virtually without a rest between England U21s and England uh, in the Euros for two years now at a high level. And uh, uh, also, you can give Deli Ali a rest if you play Kane in that role, or you could you could be flexible where you play Eriksson. So I think the real key is whether Janssen comes up to speed and becomes the player we're expecting, or at least I'm expecting him to be, and I'm sure that the player uh, Mauricio Pochettino is expecting him to be. Look, Pochettino hasn't made many signings right. these last two summers. He, he liked the core of his Spurs team. The guys he's added have been very kind of – a specific ad, son, for a specific reason. Wanyama. 
Wanyama, and mm-hmm. especially with Dembele suspended, and that suspension's now over, but Wanyama's actually played very well, so yeah. uh, he may not give up his spot that easily. And then uh, now um, Sissoko, yeah, who I expect oh, right. to be much better with Spurs than he was with Newcastle, because I've come to the point, and now we're beating up on Newcastle <laughs> fans, but I've come to the point, and I can say this safely with Chris not on the pod, although he might agree with me, that you don't judge players based on how they perform at Newcastle. You didn't, you didn't judge Damian Duff or Scott Parker or guys like that who were much better at all their other clubs or Michael Owen uh, based on how they performed at Newcastle. And, and I think that might be the case with Sissoko also. He's going to a top team now. He's making a jump from a team that was fighting relegation every year to a team that's pushing for a title. So maybe that's too big a jump, but I have a sense he'll be pretty good for them. I think Al, uh, Alan Shearer and the likes of Lauren Robert would disagree with you, but I think you're making a good point there about yeah, Newcastle. David Ginola, right, but right. at least in this era. Mm-hmm. Last yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Karthik, we'll be back uh, to talk about Burnmouth, uh, Burnley, Middlesbrough, all those three games, uh, and talk about our end-of-season top fours and our Player of the Week in Part 2 of the World Soccer Talk podcast. So stay tuned. Section 2 of the World Soccer Talk podcast. Let's start, Karthik, with the Born- with Bournemouth's win against West Brom. Um, Callum Wilson scores the only goal. This is the, you know, he, he's like the phoenix rising from the ashes, isn't he? He had that horrible injury uh, after starting off so well last season, the, the ACL injury. And he scores an absolutely delicious back flick here. Um, in general, Karthik, my thoughts on the game. Bournemouth were dominant uh, had it not been for some excellent uh, saves from Ben Foster. Burnmouth could have won this game maybe by a more flattering margin. But here's what I want to talk to you about, the only thing I want to talk to you about in this game. Burnmouth themselves are very vulnerable from set pieces. Every time I watch them uh, defending a set piece, whether it's, you know, whether it's they're not being organized by Borch or if it's the fact that Simon Francis or Stephen Cook just don't seem to organize that defense very well, they seem very vulnerable by that, uh, from that situation. Something that Eddie Howe, as one of the most talented young English managers, really has to sort. Yeah, and I think also we're looking at a situation probably where uh, this is the only way West Brom is going to stay in the league is by mm. scoring on set pieces. So they, they just uh, – this was a – this was as one-sided a game as we saw this weekend in spite of some of the other scorelines. I just, West Brom has nothing to offer. Some really good slick play from Burnmouth, especially after Jack Wilshire came on, it must right. be said. That's true. So that's... Um, Jordan Ibe as well had a good game. Oh, Jordan Ibe was fantastic in this yeah. game. And you could see why they spent the money on him. Uh, he didn't really pan out for Liverpool, but he had so many guys to compete with. I think here he's going to be him and... I'm pretty excited about him and Wilshire potentially playing together. Right. How good that could could look uh, but you have to look at the other side of this i agree with you on the vulnerability on set pieces but west brom that seems to be their only default tactic mm, is to draw point. set pieces and try and stay in games where they're getting run over like this match they got ran run over in this match completely that seems to be their only tactic and pulis who i've defended in the past now uh is showing his yeah, sometimes <laughs> right i've defended him sometimes but he he has to have this big transfer budget that's yeah. the problem. He can't. Uh, he's going to complain. He's not going to uh, organize. He, he can. Get, he can get you short-term results, but then after a while, he's going to start start complaining about not being able to buy players and not work within the resources of uh, the club he has, the, the the budget he has. So we saw this happen at Palace, and it blew up, and it's blown up now at West Brom. 
and there's a there's a very good chance uh, he's going to be out uh, soon. And the, the talk is uh, Roy Hodgson maybe um, will be the guy to take over, and that would be interesting because Hodgson's done well with this this club before and has done well within the constraints, budgetary constraints of West Brom. But he, Hodgson, if he came in, uh, would be uh, dependent, wholly dependent on on doing something in the January window. So. Uh, I just think West Brom is now one of the bottom three in my mind. I just can't see them getting out unless something miraculous happens or that there, there are enough really bad teams at the bottom of the division, which um, there might be. But right now I don't see it. I think uh, I just have this assumption Stoke will pick up and Sunderland will pick up. Uh, Moyes' teams always start slow. Sunderland always starts slow. So that's a lethal combination. I just – if you consider those two things, I just don't see how West Brom is not one of the three worst teams in the league. Two other teams who will probably be in the relegation battle, Karthik, played out what I, as you and I were talking before we started recording, what I considered to be the best game outside of the Manchester Derby this weekend. The 1-1 draw between Burnley and Hull City was an absolute joy to watch. Hull City, we've we've talked about how Mike Phelan set them up to absorb possession and hit on the counter-attack. This game, Karthik, Hull City absolutely dominated possession. They were brilliant in this game. Robert Snodgrass is a magnificent, looks like a rejuvenated, magnificent footballer right now. As you said, he had a hat-trick midweek. One of my favorite moments of this whole weekend was the pass he played for Mailer, who hit the post uh, in this. If you if you haven't watched the highlights of this game, go check out this pass Snodgrass plays from close to the halfway line. Perfectly weighted pass. Mailer first touch. Hits the post, absolutely magnificent. And that midfield card take of Snodgrass, Huddlestone, Mailer, Diomande uh, is really coming along in in, in their ability to, uh, I guess, the, the understanding they have of each other. One will hold, one will be more attacking. They actually interchange across midfield. So it's not like two, you know, we, we often talk about midfielders as two holding midfielders or one attacking midfielder, one defensive midfielder, and two wingers. These four midfielders swap positions at least in this game they did they swap positions throughout this game just awesome to watch yeah and Huddleston is a our, our colleague Chris Hennage like players in English football that can really control the tempo of a match right and when he's playing in an interchangeable role like this he can dictate uh dictate the tempo and dictate the play and the, his team tends to dominate possession when he's able to do that, which he was able to do in this match. So I thought he was very good too. And Mailer has been very good this entire season uh, thus far. Uh, Snodgrass speaks for himself, uh, speaks for itself. His uh, his success for Hull this season, uh, coming back from that terrible injury two seasons ago. Right. Remember, they got relegated, I think, largely because he was injured that mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. And um, and of course, his play for Scotland midweek. Burnley, uh, this is the kind of game they need to win. They need to get three points in this sort of game. Uh, that having been said, I thought they were very, they were very good. They had some nice slick passing of themselves. A great goal by Stephen DeFore. Yeah. And obviously DeFore is a player that, um, to me, it, it could be the X factor, right? He could be one of the real yeah. under the radar signings of this summer. Totally agree. Could, could work his way back into now Roberto Martinez's setup oh with Belgium. <laughs> um, Here we go. Yeah, no, I, 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 we'll save that for another day. But I, I think, think we need uh, we need to start goal. a new segment in World Soccer Talk podcast. Karthik talks about Martinez this week. That's the name of the segment. <laughs> right. Unfortunately, we're managing an international team. We only get to do it during international breaks. Don't get I'm this. sure you'll find a way, Karthik. <laughs> but uh, Stephen DeFore, I think, is a. Uh, is a really good signing. These teams are both playing uh, above their level right now. Yes. 
but Burnley needed the three points in this game. Again, this is another point for Hull that maybe they wouldn't have been expected to take. Uh, they almost took a point against Manchester United. We're unlucky in that game. Yeah. I um, and you should you, you should be feeling some pride as a as a United guy, Napoon. Uh, Mike Phelan showing uh, he, sh- he he can manage at this level and also mm-hmm. making David Moyes look rather silly for running him off uh, when uh, he took over from Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, for me, right now, Hull. I, I, it's hard to think that they're going to keep this up, but. And their next three games are very difficult, but they're still going to enter uh, the month of October with seven points. Uh, they um, they might just have enough to stay up because they've got a thin squad, obviously, but the way Snodgrass and Huddleston are playing, and Mailer, those three guys, right. the way those three guys are performing at this point, uh, that's enough to keep a team in, in this division. I totally agree. And uh, and speaking about Stephen DeFore, that goal from him, I mean, that, that was something that if, if someone like Pogba scored it, it would be replayed over yeah. and over again because he has this brilliant turn at the halfway line, absolutely brilliant, runs about 30 yards, well, to be fair, kind of unopposed, and then rifles one. So just an excellent goal. If you haven't watched it, make sure you check out Stephen DeFore's goal uh, for, for Burnley. Karthik Middlesbrough losing uh, to Palace. Uh, you and I last podcast talk, talked about how Wilf Zaha uh, – just kind of crazy that he wanted to move away from Palace and uh, to, to, to Tottenham. He had one goal, one assist in this game. You know, really asserted himself on this game. Had a couple. Of, he had a couple of normal Zaha moments, which meant crosses that went closer to his own goal than they did to the goal of the opposition. But in general, was very good, full of tricks. So I guess at this point we have to talk about Zaha in this Palace team. Has he got his head back on straight? Is this something that will continue, or is the erraticism of Zaha still going to continue to hold him back? Oh, the erraticism. He's, when you started uh, to tease this whole thing about how brilliant game, I thought, well, we know he's capable of this. The next game, he'll probably be all terrible, right. and they're going to really regret having sold Belasi because he just consistency is an issue for him. I think mentally he, he's not strong enough right. to weather some of these bad performances or adverse performances. He has seems to have a uh, inflated impression of, of, of where he should be in terms of uh, his career. And he had the opportunity and he didn't, he didn't take it at Manchester United. So he's, um, he's a great mystery. I, I think important for palace in this game was that Benteke got a goal. Right. Yeah. Good looked, point. And, and, and they looked good with him playing in that uh, that striker role with his, playing with his back to goal and also running at defenders uh, I was uh, disappointed I mean, Ayala made the mistake actually on, on Benteke's goal but then he, he came back and got the goal for uh, for Burrow I was though disappointed with Burrow I, I really thought that uh, games like this at the Riverside they weren't going to, to let up and uh, they seemed to there were there were points in this game where they just were not um, were not very good. Uh, although when they had set piece opportunities, mm-hmm. Stuart Downing with that brilliant left foot uh, mm-hmm. is still very dangerous. All these, all these years later, I mean, he's a guy who's made a great career right. out of um, out of uh, a, a good left foot and and some versatility. Remember, we saw him play even in that number ten role at times for yeah. West Ham a few years ago. He's played everywhere. False nine yeah. behind the striker. He's, he's played, played on, on the back wing. line. He's in yeah. a pinch. Exactly. So, so he, he, there's a James Milner about him that that's very that should right. be appreciated. Uh, Stuart Downing, that is. Karthik, one last question here. Um, do you think now that Palace is a good fit for Benteke? Because when you mentioned that, I'd actually forgotten that Benteke was the one who scored from the Zaha cross. 
that goal, that header, was a very Aston Villa-esque goal in the sense the kind of goal that Benteke became famous for before he moved to Villa. And when you see that that Tony, uh, not Tony Pulis, sorry, Pardew's system relies on wingers, is this move for Benteke, is this something that we haven't considered, that this move will could possibly revitalize his career because the kind of football Palace plays is suited to him. Whereas at Liverpool, under Klopp, a style of football where you're not going to get a lot of crosses, where most of the creations coming from cross from the players themselves crossing physically, as yeah. opposed to the ball being crossed to you, uh, it just wasn't tailor made for him, was it? No, I, I, right. At Liverpool, it was a mismatch. The second Klopp got appointed, we knew it was going to be a problem, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he hadn't started that yeah. well under Rodgers. Uh, it wasn't terrible by any right. means, but we knew that uh, Klopp's system relies on guys uh, pressing high. High, uh, high energy players and guys doing a lot of dribbling. That's why Coutinho right. fits. That's why Firmino, uh, Firmino fits. fits. That's why Lallana so, fits. What, what but, about um, at, what about at Palace? Do you think it's a better situation for him? Do you think yeah. it'll work? I think it it could work. I think it certainly has a better chance of working than it was uh, <laughs> under Klopp, yeah. right? So uh, you, you're going to get the 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 wide players, and this is we saw this even at. Um, Newcastle, how well it worked with, with crosses coming in for Demba Ba and Cisse, mm-hmm. uh, finishing chances. And I think, especially with the kind of pace they have out on the wings at, at times, uh, Palace, that there's a real opportunity for um, for Benteke. And, and uh, he took his chance in this game. So, by the way, Benteke's brother has also been signed by Palace. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, what position does he play, do you know? I'm not sure, but he was yeah. on the bench uh, uh, yesterday. Hmm. Ah, sounds like he, uh, you know, much like his older brother, enjoys sitting on the bench. Karthik, let's talk about our end of season top fours and the players, a uh, player of the week. This is something that we're going to start back up. End of the season for me, Karthik, top fours. Um, I have switched it around a little bit. I still have United winning, in, in, even in spite of uh, City uh, comfortably, let's be honest, comfortably beating United. United first, City second. Chelsea is in third now. I had them fifth at the start of the season. I think uh, that Conte has... Uh, I, my worry with that team was that they would not have a good start of the season. I thought they'll get much stronger at the end of the season. But because of the play of Diego Costa and Hazard, they've been excellent for third for me and Tottenham in fourth. Can I take your top fours? Yeah, same four teams. I'm just going to reverse it a little bit. I'm going to have City one. Look at that, Carthage. United two. Look at that. From this fifth. is something to change. <laughs> yeah. This is something to change. Three, I'm going to have Spurs. And four, Chelsea. I am very tempted to put Liverpool in my... You talk about changing from fourth or yeah. fifth for City to first. I mean, I, I had Liverpool ninth in the preseason. I'm going to mm. just live this live this down the whole season, right? Mm. Um, big, oh, you had City point, fifth, Liverpool, so... Yeah, but Liverpool could finish first or second the way they're playing. I I still got them at fifth, but gosh, you know, if Liverpool's defense is holds up. That's the big one, right? That's the problem. Yeah, but if their defense holds up, it's pretty scary. I don't think anyone's going to keep up with them. We we just saw it in going back to the first week, the 15 minutes against Arsenal when they got on top. They were just, they suffocated them. And they were, Arsenal, if you go back and look at that game, and I hate to really going after Arsenal today. Arsenal was lucky. <laughs> KKFLA 737. Yes. Uh, KKFLA 737 on Twitter. Arsenal was lucky it was 4-1 at that point. Yeah. It was, it's lucky true. it wasn't 5-6-7-1. Yeah. And yeah. It, that game could have very easily been another 8-2, honestly. Yeah. So Liverpool has that capability. And I, I'm now beginning to think, wow, uh, I didn't like the player moves they made. I love Klopp. But maybe Klopp has gotten the, this particular set of players, most of whom he inherited from Rodgers, to buy in 
he had a summer with them, and look at look at how they're playing. Yeah, I still have some reservations. We'll get to those. We we'll talk about Liverpool. Carthy, let's talk players of the week. For me, it's De Bruyne. I thought he was magnificent, as I've mentioned earlier. So I don't need to explain why. So Karthik, your player of the week. Gosh, I'm, I'm uh, between Etienne Capu and Rob talked a lot about Snodgrass. So I'll go with Capu just because we haven't talked about him yet. <laughs> I think he's become this very dominant central midfield player that we at Spurs. Ironically enough, now his former uh, Toulouse teammate uh, Sissoko has been signed by uh, right. by Spurs to play a similar role to what. I think they had anticipated Kapu would play. He's playing more box-to-box role than a holding role at, at Watford and, and doing it brilliantly. Had a very good season last year. Uh, has uh, been very good to start this season and was just brilliant. Just absolutely brilliant on uh, on Saturday. The, um, the the trouble for Watford was out wide. They couldn't really contain. Uh, Holobos had a hard time with Antonio and Payet's movement, but... Uh, when you score four goals unanswered, it doesn't matter if you can see those early goals. I know we'll get to that game in the next segment, but I'm going yeah. with this week. When we come back, we'll talk about Watford's win against West Ham, Swansea's draw with Chelsea, as well as Liverpool's comfortable win against Leicester City, and very quickly preview the Sunderland-Everton game. Stay tuned for Section 3 of the World Soccer Talk podcast. Section 3 of the World Soccer Talk podcast we're going to start with Watford's win, Karthik, over West Ham. West Ham looked to be running away with the game early, uh, with a couple of early goals. Antonio uh, scoring from a deflected header. Arguably the worst goal celebration since the dab. Uh, please, kids, if you're listening, do not imitate and make that thing happen because I'm tired of the dab already as well. So, uh, Igalo scored, though, Karthik. And that, when it became 2 1, that, you know, as we often say, that goal before halftime changing it from 2-0 to 2-1 can change games. And it really did in this game. Uh, Igalo uh, with that goal, then, of course, his good friend and, uh, uh, you know, strike partner Dini scored another, and then Watford ended up scoring another two and ended up winning 4-2. Good stuff. Here's the question. Nothing to do with soccer. Trouble with West Ham fans. This time at the new stadium. At the end of last season, Karthik, stuff was uh, the last game of the season at Manchester United versus West Ham. Uh, was it the last game? It was one of the last games. Involved a lot of of violence. Yeah, uh, it was the last game. Yeah, uh, the last game at the bullying ground, that is. uh, Involved uh, uh, some fan violence with stuff being thrown at the Manchester United bus. You know, we kind of laugh at the idea of Green Street hooligans and all that stuff. But genuine question, are the West Ham fans the most trouble-causing fans in the league? In the Premier League, the yes. Premier League. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, that's that's right. Indisputable, right? At this point, yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to cast a wide brush. West Ham has done a lot to try and clean up its image through the years. Uh, they are a club with this reputation going way back. They're it, West Ham's a bit of a contradiction, right? Because they are the great English club, right? Uh, they're the club of Bobby Moore. They're the club of Jeffers. They're the club of Frank Lampard Senior. And Did you Harry, say Francis uh, Jeffers? No, I can't. Okay. Frank Lampard. Just making senior. sure that you and didn't Frank, say Frank Francis Lampard Jeffers. and Frank Lampard Senior, <laughs> okay. Rio Ferdinand, etc. Michael Carrick, all these great right. English players. Right, right, but right. they uh, they also have this kind of ugly side to their fandom. I mean, I heard horror stories from journalists about their trip to Palermo in. Um, I believe it was in the Europa League or UEFA Cup when Alan Pardew managed them, one of those seasons, 2006-2007, something along those lines, 2005, when uh, the Palermo fans, who 
have a bit of a reputation within Italian football circles were, were petrified, were terrified because of right. the way these West Ham fans had come into town. Um, West Ham has worked hard to clean up their act, but then they got drawn in a League Cup tie or an FA Cup tie with Millwall, and there were problems. Uh, that's a focal point. There should never be um, – those two t- clubs should never be drawn together as close as they are geographically to one another. Uh, and then last season, what we saw uh, to the Manchester United real bus, just the disgraceful scenes. And then um, this, it, it's it's very worrying. So it's um, – what what it's, what does what does a club do at this point? I mean, they've they've tried to David Gold has tried to come uh, suggest that things are better, and maybe they are better. But compared to the rest of the league, it, it's in some ways it's it's yeah, embarrassing to, to have the second largest now the second largest stadium uh, in the country and have this sort of thing manifest itself. Right, you don't want to do what Chelsea did, which was essentially have blacklists and right. electrified fences and all these things to keep uh, and raise ticket prices to the point where where. Uh, Good, decent, hardworking, ordinary fans who support West Ham and support Chelsea uh, aren't able to get into into the ground, and and they have to travel. They have to travel to away dates to get cheaper tickets. Right. You don't want to be in that position. That's what Chelsea did. Chelsea Chelsea had a similar problem. Let's not forget, and they mm-hmm. cleaned up their act through very draconian means: uh, electrified fences, which was a really kind of a, a, a disgusting about, a, thing about as draconian about. as it gets. Right. Yeah. yeah, and and uh, uh, raising ticket prices, keeping blacklists, making sure certain fans couldn't travel to Europe when they went to Europe. Uh, but Chelsea doesn't have this problem anymore. Although they did have, I guess, some incidents right on uh, the, With the, the train. The train, yeah, racist incident. Yeah. Train, yeah. But uh, by and large, they haven't had these problems uh, since they really cracked down. I, I don't want another club to do what Chelsea did. Honestly, I just I think that they went well over the top, but. They, Chelsea doesn't seem to have the problem anymore. So Gold and Sullivan uh, both want to clean it up. Karen Brady wants to clean it up. Uh, I know she's pretty embarrassed. But, uh, that's that's two of the last three home matches they've played that this has happened. Something ugly has happened. So that's that's a, that's a big problem. And the thought was to move to the Olympic Stadium would bring a different type of fan in uh, or maybe change kind of the ambiance because the bowling ground was always – I have to tell you, I, I went to a West Ham game in – 2009 against Arsenal at the bowling ground and I, it was the most it was the most scared I was going into a, a football ground ever uh, now I granted I haven't gone to football matches in Russia or in Latin America or some of the places with reputations but I've gone to a number of matches in England yeah. and Germany and in Western Europe and obviously tons of matches in the United States few matches in Mexico I, I was per- terrified I mean there's just there was just something about that place so I thought okay Whatever. What happened at the last match against Manchester United? Terrible. It was reprehensible uh, that that happened, and the match was played after that. Um, uh, but I just figured it wouldn't be a problem at the Olympic Stadium. But I thought part of the part of it was the bowling ground and Upton Park and that whole atmosphere. But um, uh, this is a big problem. Yeah. You, you said, Karthik, that something ugly happened, and that's about the most perfect transition to talk about Diego Costa. And Chelsea, uh, <laughs> Swansea, Swansea draws two-two with Chelsea. Costa scores early, then he misses one of the easiest chances of the season and an absolute tap-in. Swan score, uh, and that's let's talk about that goal here, Karthik. Antonio Conte, brilliant defensive manager, as we know. His ten, his, the thing I've always noticed is teams tend to control counterattack really well, and I, I'd say his teams are the best. At controlling counterattacks, we saw that Juventus at, uh, with Italy, they managed to, to create a system where counterattacks become almost negligible. 
For some reason, though, in this counterattack, poor old 30 of uh, 600-year-old John Terry is being asked to track Sigurdsson. Uh, and Sigurd, it's kind of a comedy to watch Karthik. Sigurdsson is about at parity with him at the halfway line. Halfway between the halfway line and the, the box, Sigurdsson is about 30 yards <laughs> ahead of John Terry. Uh, and then, of course, Courtois is the one that takes him down. But uh, Antonio Conte, perhaps not making the right moves in, in the way he's setting up this Chelsea team to prevent the counterattack. Right, and keep in mind that there had been a significant change made by Gunain. I should have just let Neil Taylor go for the rest of the half and then mm-hmm. made the change at halftime. He made the change in the 41st minute. Uh, but then again, you could argue if uh, Jose Mourinho had uh, swapped out Mkhitaryan for Herrera right. a little earlier, City might not have gotten the second goal, right? So right. Uh, maybe you do make that change in the 41st minute. Anyway, Mo Barrow coming on, I think, changed Chelsea's defensive assignments. And Barrow worked led directly to that goal. And, mm-hmm. and I wonder if maybe so- someone had to track Barrow. I'd have to watch the goal again. Had to track Barrow that normally would not have had to and would have been uh, watching Sigurdsson. And that ma- mismatch with Terry wouldn't have occurred. Mm-hmm. I-, I wonder about that because I think it might have been because of that change. I- this is a stereotype um, about Italian managers seeing the game differently than other <laughs> managers do. But I've noticed Conte, uh, Gudein, and uh, Mazzari at Watford, oh, and obviously Claudio Ranieri, but uh, those three, the, the, th- the three I just named in particular, making interesting tactical tweaks in the middle of games right. already this season that have changed the trajectory of, of, of results. So... Um, it's good to have so many Italian managers in the Premier League. That's one of the things I'm going to take away from this game. This was a great game to watch, and it was uh, partly because of the two managers. Yeah, and uh, another person who was looking on Karthik was David Luiz, and he would have been absolutely thrilled to see what <laughs> what Cahill did uh, because he would have been like, oh, <laughs> right, a man out of my old book. How does so. Cahill get uh, caught in possession like that? I know there's a lot of controversy that maybe uh, Leroy Fair fo- fouled him. I'm not sure. I, I think I don't think so. I'd probably swallow the whistle there, too, and let Fair play on and, and score that goal. Uh, I That's shocking from a guy in Cahill who is central defender for mm-hmm. England and a guy with all of this experience to just get caught in that situation. And not and only then, ca- caught Karthik, it was being caught in a strange situation because it wasn't as though Lara Fair came up from behind him and right. grabbed... I mean, Cahill saw him coming towards him the entire time. It, it, it just beggars belief why he didn't get rid of that ball. Right. And that was, uh, that was a stunning uh, uh, sequence of events because Chelsea's 1-0 up. I thought before Costa's initial goal that uh, Swansea were the better team. Mm-hmm. Uh, first uh, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, whenever that goal was scored. Then it seemed like they went into the tank. Gudain makes this change. He brings Taylor off. He brings Barrow on because he sees the, the, the way the game is going and that they're probably going to need to rely on some counterattacking and some pace. Uh, they're losing the midfield battle after that. And then Chelsea has two, three, four good chances, not half chances, good chances to, to, to get a second goal. They don't get it. And then just like that, uh, Swansea gets the two goals. And, and, and uh, then after that, I mean, the game was open. Both teams, yeah. it seemed like, had chances. Uh, Chelsea had the better chances. Obviously, the brilliant uh, equalizer from Costa. But uh, I, I tell you what, the Premier League kind of was sleepwalking the first few weeks, right? And <laughs> it was, uh, wasn't that entertaining. But I think we had three really high-quality games this weekend with the Manchester Derby, the uh, Hull game, uh, the Hull game against Burnley, and then this game mm-hmm. this morning. I, I just 
probably the three best games of the season, maybe other than uh, uh, probably the three best games of the season. Honestly, I, I think uh, Liverpool Arsenal was entertaining, but yeah. I think that was entertaining because of Arsenal's <laughs> mishaps. More that than was just anything. a bunch of clownery, was what that was. Right. It was just funny. So uh, yeah, uh, by the way. Big shout out to Fabianski. I thought he had some great saves to yeah, keep Chelsea yeah. at bay until that equalizer, of course. Karthik, let's talk about the final game we're going to review, which is Liverpool's win against Leicester City. Uh, Liverpool started with Lucas at center back, and it actually contributed to the only goal that Leicester City scored. Um, here's a couple of things. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Liverpool, I guess, in a minute. But as you post to me, I'm going to post it back to you. Are we worried about Leicester City? Yeah, I'm I'm worried that they're not able to to replicate. Uh, it seems like all of their key contributors have dropped off. Uh, Drinkwater is not as dominant in the midfield without Conte flanking him. Mares seems to be becoming self, more more and more selfish than he was last year, taking two three guys on, uh, being dispossessed, uh, not looking for for an outlet ball. Vardy's finishing uh, touch has, has somewhat eluded him. And then I would say uh, Mark Albrighton isn't putting in the kind of defensive work he did last right. year. So those four guys, uh, I'm concerned that they've all dropped off. Uh, I uh, am also concerned that with uh, having signed two high-profile strikers in in Ahmed Musa and now Slimani. Slimani is a fantastic signing, right, mm-hmm. on paper. It, but that means you're not going to see as much of Okasaki. And so much of their success was due to Okasaki's work rate last season. Uh, so I have a lot of concerns. And then obviously not having Conte has exposed uh, Morgan and Huth to uh, a lot more uh, attacks right right up the middle than they were seeing last season. And, and they're not coping very well with it. So there are a lot of uh, lot of issues. Uh, that having been said, the, the player they've signed, Slimani, he has the ability to be uh, a 15 to 20 goal scorer in the Premier League. And, and uh, you add that to Vardy, who is that, and Mares, who is that. Uh, if these two guys get going, Leicester still has, at least going forward, an awful lot of firepower. I mean, as much firepower as anyone outside the top four or five teams. So uh, I, I think the, there are concerns about... Uh, the work rate of players, Mares, uh, Albrighton, and then not having Okazaki in the team. Those would be my biggest concerns. Yeah, from my perspective, I, I think when we were re- previewing this game for the ULF podcast, uh, Gabe and I were talking about this. For me, the big difference between Liverpool versus Leicester last season versus Liverpool versus Leicester this season, when we were previewing it at least, was I felt Leicester City was there to be had in the center of the park because there's a lot more lateral movement across Leicester's midfield than there was last season. Last season, the idea was Conte gets the ball, passes it to Drinkwater, Drinkwater plays it to Vardy. And it was as simple and as complicated as that, as that including Mahrez as well. This season, regardless of who's played alongside Drinkwater, whether it's been uh, uh, Nampalis Mendy, this week it was Amarte, there's a lot more, the buildup is much slower, There's the, the separation between the two players is much larger, and therefore you find Drinkwater having to drop a lot deeper than he was last season. Yeah. It's leading to yeah. a lot of breakdown in, that, in those lines between midfield and the forward line. So there's a lot, I mean, of course, I guess the over, over uh, I guess the overarching theme here is the loss of N'Golo Conte, but there's a lot more going on in terms of the midfield structure that than the, just that player. So yeah, do you shift? Do you shift uh, tactically to a to a different formation now? That's exactly what I was going to say. I think it might be time to actually play around with a four two three one. 
because right. Okazaki has not had the start. And in my opinion, I think Okazaki would work fantastically coming in from the wing, you know, from a left side yeah. or the right side of a wing uh, behind someone like Vardy. I think might be time to play. We might we might need old school Tinkerman but they have back. Five, but they have five strikers now. I mean, they that's, have that's it, right? Yeah, Musa. Musa can play on the wing, right? Okazaki right. Or could play on the wing. So then that leaves you with three. Uh, well, Vardy technically could play on the wing too. That leaves you with Slimani and Ojoa who cannot. But Ojoa uh, is the one that obviously can't. He would be right. the target man. But maybe Vardy could be played behind an Ojoa. Let's right. not is is. Uh, Ezekiel, what was his name? Uh, Gray, the the young. Uh, Demari Gray could play, Gray or, uh, out on, could the play on the wing. Exactly, and that's that's an option. I think they need to look at it. his wing play. Was very impressive in the few games he had last season. So right. maybe to incorporate him into that mix. So yeah, uh, that that's our Leicester City conversation. But Liverpool, Karthik. We were talking and by about the way, the fo- Liverpool fans, we talk about Leicester first because they are the champions. Let's just remember that before I, you guys get upset and say, oh, you're talking about this team that's in 17th. They won the title. You guys haven't won a title in 20-some-odd <laughs> years, but hmm. go on. No, Karthik, yeah, let, let's rub it in their face a little bit. Jamie Vardy won, Steven Gerrard zero. How about that? How, how, yeah. How's that to rub it? In? All right, Karthik, so Liverpool, let's, well, let's talk about Liverpool. So for me, then this game, uh, I noticed it more than I did even in the Arsenal game. The interchange of Sturridge and Firmino is magnificent, magnificent to watch because Sturridge is always obviously going to be uh, the, the one the ball is going to be directed to because of how brilliant he is. But a lot of the time, Sturridge was running out to the wing and every time he did that, Firmino was cutting in and it completely destroyed any sort of marking that Leicester City had. And multiple times in this game, Karthik, the Leicester City back line looked, didn't look like a line. It looked more like a I don't know, you could make a box around it because the fullbacks were so far back, the center lines were put, pushed forward, you could literally m- probably make a, a box out of that, out of those four players. Yeah, uh, this was really good. And, and you know, um, he, he, the, the thing that I really like about Firmino, and the more and more I watch him, and I saw some of this at Hoffenheim too, at Hoffenheim he would play generally behind the strikers, or behind the striker in, in 4 2 three, one. Um, He just, his, his movement is so dynamic, isn't it? I mean, he just, he doesn't, if you're, if you're trying to, uh, pigeonhole him into being is he a number nine is he a number 10 is he a number eight can he come should he play as a wing wide player can he, you you can't put you can't logically put him in any of those positions so you think well why is this guy even out there why isn't uh uh coutinho playing or Rigi or you know whoever um benteke last season but it's just his movement is so dynamic and his understanding of the movement of uh, Coutinho when Coutinho plays. Obviously, he didn't start yesterday, but mm-hmm. Sturridge, as you mentioned, Lalana, uh, it's just really good. And um, you know, let's get let's get to this whole uh, Newcastle conversation. Uh, when Autumn has been a uh, a much better player, I, I mean, maybe his finishing eh, is still there, but I, th- I, I think his movement's been pretty good. He's been a much know, better player Carl, than like, I expected. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about that. When I see. The- I still think Wijnaldum was a better player last season in Newcastle. I don't think he has been very good at Liverpool. I think he's been guilty of uh, striking the ball from areas that he has no business striking well, the ball. Well, that's true. Last season, some of those goals went in. But this season, he's been guilty of it way too often, of just missing shots. I think the 4-3-3 is ideal for Wijnaldum. But somehow, I don't know if it's being on uh, because he's on the other side of Henderson or uh, an effect that Lalana sometimes can over-embellish. I think... Wijnaldum has a lot more to give Liverpool. And when I look at Liverpool, the areas that I worry about 
is not up and is not those attacking midfielders. Right. They're absolutely brilliant, and and you know sometimes they can be guilty of not putting the ball in the ball in the net, but they'll all, always create chances. The parts I worry about is that midfield is the defense. And right now, Wijnaldum, I think, should be the first one out of the team when Emre Can comes back in. Okay, potentially, right. Uh, although th- maybe you don't get as much dynamic movement and, and all of that if you make mm-hmm. that change. But you have to you have to consider that if you're Klopp. I, I, I thought, well, why are they signing Saudo Mane, who is a player I like? Right. Uh, but why are they signing him? They have so many attacking players have complained those advanced positions. Why do they need another one? But he's just How he's just on another level been? though. How good has he been? Right. Um, and this is again why I, I picked Liverpool real low because I felt like they hadn't really addressed their needs with uh, some of the signings they made. Uh, they signed a goalkeeper in Carius who's probably going to be good. All oh, Mignolet was very good yesterday. Um, and uh, I didn't really care for their defensive signings. Matt Teep is a player I've seen get caught in some uncomfortable positions with Schalke. I wasn't uh, in love with uh, the Wijnaldum signing, and as far as Mane, I, I rate him highly, but I thought, well, you know what? They have all kinds of other players who play in that role. Why, why are they signing him for so much money? He, he could help Arsenal more than he could help Liverpool, was my thinking, but uh, he's been just so good. He's been off the charts good. And, um, gosh, I mean, you, he's a guy that seems to have... Um, he seems to have such um, such confidence with the ball at his feet and, and, and a string on the ball and picks the right pass or the right shot. Well, maybe he's he's in a good moment. But again, mm-hmm. I, I think we talked about this before. You, there are very few guys who are not number nines who play for teams outside the top four that can get you double-digit goals every season. He scored double-digit goals two straight years with Southampton. Uh, Premier League goals, not, just, not in all competitions. Obviously, definitely in all competitions, but double-digit Premier League goals. Now that he's on a good team, right. can you imagine how many goals he's going to get this season? Well, here's here's the, the conundrum with, uh, with uh, Sadio Mane, and we can end with this uh, before we actually we could preview Sunderland Everton but uh, at Southampton at times he was unplayable actually against Liverpool how good was he Southampton versus Liverpool I think he scored I mean, a couple of goals this is the theory as to why you sign guys because they play right. well against well you. against this Liverpool the same thing but, with uh, Manchester City signing Sterling mm-hmm. uh, Liverpool fans can appreciate this he always played well against Manchester yeah, City sure so it's a logical signing um, and I, I think with Sadio Mane the only issue is when he is mentally happy when he feels like a part of the group he's an exceptional player there was that time when he had asked for a transfer or whatever the truth is in january i remember when uh, people were linking him to manchester united after that link happened and he wanted to move away he was not a very good player so that suggests to me that he needs to be loved he needs to be appreciated and as long as he has that at liverpool and maybe you hinted at this when you said at a bigger club um, he will continue to give you these brilliant performances the likes that we haven't seen at liverpool since you know the suarez sturridge link up days so well point uh, good good uh, points there karthik karthik let's end tonight's podcast with a very quick preview of sunderland everton uh couple of talking points as we often do these days on the world soccer talk podcast and on other podcasts it's the two managers Moyes versus Komen two managers that you and I have a lot of time for but right now Komen's Everton uh, is far ahead of the program uh, of where we even I expected them to be yeah I think um, they they They've started well. I think uh, Gareth Barry is playing very well. Although, you know, Sissoko is a, a natural replacement or guy who can compliment McCarthy. They um, they have uh, 
a confident team. Kevin Morales playing, getting pretty much back to his best. Delafeu uh, seems to be thriving in Komen's system. It's early, but we've liked what we've seen from them. Now, with David, David Moyes and Sunderland, I have to remind folks that uh, David Moyes' Everton teams always tended to start slow, and Sunderland always starts slow. Uh, now, of course, unfortunately for Moyes, they never finished the season with the manager. They <laughs> so that's, that's uh, unlike Everton, who was very patient with them, and he'd eventually guide them into the top half and sometimes even into the top five or six in the league and then qualify for Europe after these slow starts. Sunderland uh, doesn't quite have that patience. Uh, Sunderland is, is a mess. I mean, I think uh, uh, he's inherited a, a team that's uh, um, just a mishmash of players, right? A, a team mm-hmm. that's... Uh, got guys that uh, have been bought, or again, because they start seasons with one player, one coach, manager, and end with another. Guys that are um, not, uh, um, s- that are just kind of piecemeal, and he's having right. to work through that. He's gotten two of his old boys in, Stephen Pienaar and Anichibi. Uh, let's see if and they. And like two or three of players that he worked wa- with at Manchester United Donald Love, uh, McNair, and Yanisai. Uh, Right, so so he, he he's going back. This is a familiar Moyes trait, right? He's going to players he's familiar with, and he inherited Jack Rodwell, mm-hmm. a player that he brought through the ranks. Right, right. Good point. I forgot about that. So uh, maybe he'll get a familiarity with this, and, and and I think they were very happy that they were able to get uh, uh, Mika, the uh, the Portuguese goalkeeper, uh, get some special dispensation to sign him. Uh, he's a goalkeeper that uh, is uh, uh, very highly thought of in in in, in uh, uh, the Portuguese league. Uh, Swiss goalkeeper, I, I should say, but uh, mm-hmm. Swiss Portuguese goalkeeper. But they were able to bring him in um, because Manone is hurt, and they were looking at if they weren't able to to get the Premier League to sign off on this move after the transfer deadline. They were looking at Jordan Pickford for three months, right? Because Joe Hart decided that he would go to Torino rather than go to Sunderland. Sunderland's a club, I think, now with a reputation, unfortunately. And even an English player like Hart uh, says, yeah, I'll take my chances abroad. <laughs> so um, they caught a break there, but I, I just fear for them that this is, this is going to be a start where they start similarly to where they started a few years ago uh, under, um, under De Canio, and then Poyet had to bail them out. Now, it's happened every year, right, since? Right. But uh, this is uh, this is going to be a tough one. I, I think Everton probably at least gets a draw in this game. When we come back next week, we will have the exact result of that Sunderland Everton game. By the way, I'm predicting an Everton win in this one. Um, and also, we'll have all the games for next week. We'll probably have Chris back, and we'll have the result of uh, the analysis of what will be an excellent game between Chelsea and Liverpool on Friday. So until then, on behalf of everyone here at World Soccer Talk, myself Nipun Chopra, Karthik, enjoy your football. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.